Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 97 of F Stop Collaborate and Listen. Hope you guys are ready for a really great episode. I am excited to share this one with you. This week's guest is New Zealand based photographer William Patino. If you haven't seen his work on Instagram, go check it out right now. It is superb. Uh, William is known for his amazing landscapes and seascapes, most of them taken without a tripod. Uh, This week, William and I cover some really great topics, including William's passion for the wilderness and how that translates into his work. You really really get to see the excitement come out in his voice. It was really fun. William's evolving editing style over time, uh, William's approach to tripod-free landscape photography, the link between mental health and his photography, being a vegetarian as a landscape photographer, and uh, stick around for William's awesome Bob Ross impression, which had me in stitches. Well, before we get started, I want to take a moment to tell you again about one of my favorite nature photography platforms, Nature Photographers Network or NPN. You may recall episode 77, where I talked with NPN's owners and podcast patrons David Kingham and Jennifer Renwick, as well as Alex Noriega and Ron Coscarosa, about the relaunch of NPN. NPN is an amazing community designed specifically for nature and landscape photographers. There are two really great features of NPN that you really need to see for yourself. The first is the critique forums. This is hands down the most informative and thoughtful place on the web to improve your photography. Seriously. Not only can you get great feedback on your images from professionals across the globe, you can also learn by reading critiques that are done on other photographers' images. The second aspect of NPN that I really like are the amazing articles written by many former podcast guests, including Guy Tal, Colleen Minnix-Berry, Eric Bennett, and many more. I also have an article coming out soon that I think you'll enjoy, Enjoy, so check that out. Head over to naturephotographers.network and join up. I also want to tell you about one of our Patreon supporters, Danny LeFrancois, the woman behind Banff Photo Workshops and Tours in the beautiful Canadian Rockies. You might remember Danny from way back on episode 23, where we talked about her passion for teaching and guiding. Danny runs private, one-on-one, personalized workshops and photo tours, where she will help you with everything from finding your vision, how composition can tell a visual story, or even understanding your camera. So whether you just got your first camera and want to learn how to use it, or if you're an advanced photographer and want to experience the best of the mountains, Danny has you covered. Visit BanffPhotoWorkshops.com to check out all the different options Danny has to offer, including half-day, full-day, multi-day, as well as night photography trips. Make the most of your time in the Canadian Rockies with a local expert. Well, of course, I want to take the time to, to thank our very, very special Patreon supporters and podcast producers. These amazing individuals contribute at the $20 a month level and higher over on our Patreon page. Michael Howard, Perry Shalat, Jack Curran, Eric Stenslin, Chris Rice, Jeff Peterson, Charlotte Gibb, Jason Matias, Anton Everine, Lori Berenson, Roger Nadell, William Nurse, Ken Dono, and Danny LeFrancois. All right, let's get to the show.
dude, I'm so excited uh, for this episode. Thank you so much, uh, William Patino, for coming on F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen. Absolute pleasure, man. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, man. Um, gosh, it's so funny. I was um, I was in Ridgeway, Colorado about a week and a half ago, and I was there for a, kind of a meeting of the minds of landscape photographers. We're, we're trying to come up with uh, <clears throat> some approaches to solving some some problems that we've seen in the in the field for I guess behavior for photographers and <laughs> my my friend Eric Bennett was there and he said that oh, he's yeah. uh, he's he's shot with you before and he and we were riding in the car together and he 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 mentioned to me that that I should reach out to you and I've had other people in the past re- mention that I should reach out to you so it was just a really good reminder. Like, yeah, I need to reach out to that guy. Cause uh, I've been cool. following you. Yeah. I've been following you on Instagram. Um, I really, really, really like the work you're doing. And so, um, you seem What's like that? a super interesting dude. So let's, uh, let's do this. I was worried <laughs> for a second there when you were saying, uh, you guys were talking about, uh, <laughs> problems in the industry and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. hang on a minute. <laughs> Why is my name getting brought up here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't specific to you. So uh, cool. No, Eric, yeah, I, uh, I've just somewhat followed Eric uh, for years. You know, there's just those people you just have followed that seems like forever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I finally got to meet him last year in Iceland of all places. So it was nice to finally put a face to the name and say hello and everything like that. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's so funny uh, how small this community is. Oh, um, man, and- big time. Like I feel like so many of my friends I actually haven't even met because everyone's just online, but I feel like they are friends and I know them really well, despite not actually meeting in person. Right. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that way. Uh, well, man, so like before we dive into all the juicy bits, let's, let's talk a little bit about, about kind of your, your path as a photographer. I know that, um, I don't know, based on the conversations you and I have had offline, like it's, it seems like it's a big part of, um, kind of where you're at in your journey. And I, I'm really curious about like kind of that path you took to become a professional photographer. Cause I, I think you had mentioned you, you're married, you have two kids and you're the sole provider. So like mm. that always piques my interest. So like, I'd love to hear about kind of what that journey has looked like for you and why you've taken the plunge and what that looks like. Yeah, no problem. My uh, my anxiety levels rose as you mentioned. Married, two kids, self provider. I'm like, yeah, I am. I go, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, dude, that remind me. I try, I, I try to suppress that every day. That thought. No. Um. <laughs> all right. Let, let's uh, let's do story time. I'll keep it super quick and straight to the point. But uh, I was introduced to photography 2012 through Instagram. Surprise, surprise of all places. Now, 2012 was when no one knew what Instagram was, really. Um, like the word just sounded strange if you mentioned <laughs> it. And I was that one guy that didn't have uh, Facebook. I was just against social media or whatever. And uh, yeah, long story short, like I grew up skateboarding and I was on a skate trip with some friends and I wanted to see where one of the photographers was sharing the photos and I couldn't remember what he said. And in hindsight, he probably said Flickr, but I just remember searching in the app store, uh, photography, Instagram came up, I downloaded it. I was like, what the heck is this? And, uh, (laughs) for some reason I I ended up just keeping it though, the app, uh, and just started taking lame photos with the iPhone. (laughs) (laughs) 
like of just random stuff like my dog flowers in the backyards whatever you know typical stuff like that and we had a dslr in the cupboard at home that we purchased for a european holiday my wife and i we went to europe like a year before that so we had this camera there and I remember, like, after a while on Instagram, I saw a few, like, landscape shots. And I, in hindsight as well, I think they were really bad HDR, like, ultra HDR, you know, really got. <laughs> but to me, they just stood out. I was like, wow, that looks crazy and fun. So, um, yeah, I lived in Wollongong in Australia, which was a coastal town. So many beautiful beaches and everything, which I just totally took for granted. So I took the camera out one morning for a sunrise and that was it, man. It just, it hooked me big time. Um, so just to speed things up from there, that was 2012. I just became addicted and I was, my job at the time, I didn't start until 8am. So it was pretty easy for me to drive 20 minutes, half an hour to many seascape locations and just uh, just teach myself photography and have fun and muck around. And then I could easily just start the working day. So in that first year or two, I literally, I kid you not, I was shooting pretty much 300 days a year, Um, probably more, man. Like I just loved it so much and it was fun. And I realized very quickly the importance of good light. So I just, I knew that I had to get out there as much as I could to just get better. I wasn't on a mission or anything. I was just literally having fun, just purely obsessed with how fun it was. And at the same time, I was battling some mental health issues. I was diagnosed with depression. Mm. Uh, A few months prior to that, I can't give you an exact timeline or anything, but uh, photography was this tool that allowed me to kind of see colour and hope and beauty in the world again. Um, Depression just really made me very numb to everything and photography was a tool that helped me feel alive so it was like a perfect recipe there and uh yeah long story short in at the end of 2014 when my son was born which is just the craziest timing (laughs) but uh yeah life got real busy life got busy because yeah i was doing the occasional like influencer job because i've got I've got like an old Instagram account, that original one that has, it's not a big following now, but at the time it was big for those first few years. So I'd get the occasional like influencing job and print sales and then I was still working my full-time job and then my son was born and I was like, geez, like something's got to give here. This is just a lot going on. Um, so it was either my this pretty steady job that was paying well as it air conditioning mechanic or what you guys might call uh, HVAC mechanic, HVAC. Uh, (laughs) And yeah, photography was on the side and I just thought, man, it seems weird to just let this photography thing go because I just love it too much. It's a big part of me and it just feels weird to to let it slip. So I I decided to throw in the other job and just give my everything to photography, primarily running workshops, which was my passion. And yeah, the rest wow. is history, man. And that's that's what I do now. So I'd say ninety percent of my income is from running workshops, and that other ten percent is maybe just random licensing or commissions or something like that. But I don't do like the influencing work anymore, tourism work or anything like that, which I was dabbling in initially. Sure. But yeah, that, that's the condensed version, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, there's a lot of stuff I could pick on right there. Because yeah, yeah. I mean, you talk about. Um, the mental health side of that's like I'm a, a lot of people have probably heard this on the podcast, but I used to be a um, I have a master's degree in clinical psychology and actually used to be a therapist and um, 
Like, yeah, so, so whenever people mention that, I'm always like, like my ears kind of go up like, Ooh, that's, yeah. interesting, that's interesting to me, yeah. you know, but, uh, so common as well, isn't it? As you're probably aware, like just people that are struggling with issues, anxiety or depression or yeah. you know, various things. And yeah, it's something that I watched my sister go through actually. And I totally just, I didn't understand and it was hard to watch on the outside. And then it just hit me so suddenly out of nowhere, man, it was <laughs> horrifying and to be honest i feel like it's still a part of me but it's just i've learned to control it and channel it and there's triggers and things like that so i really feel like it's just a a personality aspect that i have but yeah it did get to a point there where i was pretty much bedridden and then there was like a guilt cycle where you know i had no reason to be have depression it was really strange but i did and then that i felt bad because of that so that dug the hole deeper and Oh, if anything, now I'm grateful. I, I'm truly grateful for what happened there and what I went through and uh, because it's shaped me into the person I am now and I really feel like it helps me connect a little bit more with others who might be going through the same thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the latest data shows that like one in five adults um, experience mental health issues in a given year, which if you think about it, that's... Yeah. <laughs> basically cool. in a five-year span like your odds of being you know like you're gonna experience it so, yeah um and it's yeah i think the awareness is just such a big thing and it's good that it's just getting it seems to be people are speaking out about it a bit more because i really think that helps people prevent it from becoming you know a monster essentially yeah for sure like i think um i mean you could i feel like you could take anything that's uh, that's a creative process, whether it be photography or painting or writing. And I feel like anything that does that can help you find um, more meaning and more purpose in the world and and kind of pull you out of out of that kind of experience. And yeah. I'm just curious, like did you did you find that uh, did you find that photography for you helped? kind of anchor you to something that made you um I, I guess I don't want to put words in your mouth or define your experience for you but did did you find that it that it helped you um find something else to focus on yeah pun intended there I'm wondering <laughs> <laughs> right but uh I've always well not always when I was in my late teens I pretty much adopted like a Christian worldview or a part of a Christian worldview anyway. And, you know, when I went through depression, it was definitely like my faith was something that anchored me, but it wasn't a cure or anything like that. And I just feel like the photography, you know, it it gave me a a reason to get outside, first of all, which is just so critical, I feel. Yes. Like I said, I was bedridden for a while there where I just, I just was apathetic. I just, I was numb. I didn't want to be like that, but it was, it was just how it was. And the photography was leading me out. You know, there's so many metaphors and things here, you know, like coming from darkness into light. It just kept on <laughs> getting me outside, man, and just getting fresh air and then looking at the world in a way I never had before. Like where I grew up is it's quite beautiful. There's lots of lots of beaches. Oh, it's, oh, it's on the east coast of Australia and there's lots of cool seascape photography locations and I lived there my whole life and I had no idea these little places existed because, you know, they're just rocks and things that I guess the everyday person couldn't care less about. But for me, it 
yeah, it just made me go, oh man, I'm going to, this morning, I'm going to drive to this headland, <laughs> climb down that little cliff and then just go scout around there. And it just became this real addictive cycle. But at the same time, it just, like I said, it made me actually just look, I don't know, at the, not only the bigger picture in life, but just the smaller details as well. And yeah. I guess that process through then expressing myself in the photography, a lot of the photography I make is, you know, kind of dramatic. And, um, you know, I, if there's a pretty reflection somewhere with a mountain and a red sky, I just don't want to shoot it. I'd rather have waves smashing up against my body or, you know, like I just want my heart rate to be up. So all those things combined, it just, it helped me just find this release. And yeah, it's been the same way ever since nothing's changed now. It's still the exact same thing, but you know, in short, like I said, I think it just made me view the world differently and see the beauty in the world because it's easy to focus on the negatives if you turn on the news or, oh, for sure. you know, whatever you, yeah, there's always going to be something bad, but the photography and getting out in nature essentially was just looking at the good. I was watching the sunrise come up and, you know, paint the landscape in front of me, the ocean, watching whales breach, like mother calf whales breaching at sunrise and I'm the only dude around and then I'd go to work and start the day and everyone else is half asleep and I'm already like buzzing like man I've already had the best morning like shot these 12 foot waves barreling there was a whale the sun and yeah so yeah it, uh, it transformed everything you know it's, it's <laughs> funny um as you were talking I was reminded of a conversation I had with another landscape photographer and I won't I won't use their name but uh I was, I've been pretty critical of their processing over the years, or I guess over the last year, um, just as a kind of personal preference kind of a thing. But mm. they shared with me that, um, that, that photography and then going into Lightroom and Photoshop, like that act of kind of creating these, um, these scenes um, that may or may not be like real, you know, like we all know, oh, yeah, yeah. but, but, but the, that process for them has really helped them come out of uh, a darker like place in their mm. mind. And, and, and yeah. then like, as soon as I said that, I was like, Oh, I feel like such a dick. Like why? Like, yes, yeah. that's awesome. That, that, that this, this, that this is something that you can do to escape those demons. And so like, I'm constantly mm. like, that's always, I was always on my mind. Like people, people do this for lots of different reasons. And, um, if it's to help yeah, you, there's no right or yeah, wrong. exactly. And I think I always liken it to music. I'm not a musician at all, but I always just think, I always say to my workshop guys, like, I don't like Britney Spears's music. <laughs> I like, I do not choose to play it. However, it doesn't mean that millions of others don't love it. And she's sold a lot of albums. So is it right for me to say she makes bad music or it's wrong? It's like, no, it just means it's not for me, but I still right. can accept that people can enjoy it and resonate with it just like i'm like some weird music too and i know that's not for everyone but Absolutely. there's just no right or wrong and that's that's like the photography and the processing and everything like that you know i like transparency generally like if someone asks me oh what did you do here what you know um i think it's cool to be transparent but um as far as rules or whatever there's just there's none i think it was aaron on one of your episodes a while ago mentioned something about for sure uh, uh yeah. You know, we need to, yeah, we need to approach like photography now 
with almost being uh, this is not the right word, but like suspicious almost. Like it's it's almost silly these days to assume something is one hundred percent legit, whether it's a landscape or it's a documentary photo, right. or whatever. Um, I think that's just not a wise way to approach photos anymore because we know that things can be taken out of context and they always have, like even in the film days, you could just crop something, you know, out of a bigger landscape and make up a story about where that thing was and, yeah, so. Yeah, and I'm like, (laughs) like I am very suspicious of lots of stuff, but uh, Mm. I think, you know, often I think that's lost the, in that in that discourse that happens so frequently online is the people like me that are like hey like i don't i don't what what was what's going on here like why did you do that it's not yeah. that i'm um negatively judging i just want to know you know like um yeah and yeah. so i think oftentimes there's this especially when you have anonymity with the internet like it's hard to have those contextual conversations you know, like when I have a conversation with oh, my, with, so hard. With yeah, time. like, like if you can see my facial expressions, I'm not judging you. I'm like, I'm very, I'm just curious <laughs> about like, how did you edit that photo? You know what I mean? Like, it's not a. Yeah, it's dangerous. Hey, like we have a way of reading things depending on what our mood is, you know, like. Yes. If I'm in a bad mood and then someone leaves a comment, I can read it like, oh, there. They're, they're picking on the photo or if i'm in a right. good mood i'll be like oh they seem to be like you can really twist anything <laughs> to be honest man like uh yeah i just i've really just turned off social media as well i might speak about this later but it's just something that to me it's like a burden almost actually it's what got me into photography initially and it gave me so many opportunities and it's obviously still a powerful marketing tool but it's like i'd rather not like i gave myself a a good break, a two and a half week break, just deleted all the apps off the phone. And I realized, I was like, wow, I do not, not one single day did I actually think, oh, I want to see what's going on on this app. Like, yeah, it made me realize it's just not a part of my journey for me anymore. And if anything, it's it's more of a tool. So for that reason, I'm I'm oblivious to a lot of stuff that might be going on with, you know, little things happen here and there, like popcorn moments with things come up. And I'm just like, no, I haven't. I'm just like I'm just blissfully hiding away in New Zealand. <laughs> I feel that like probably helps that we only got the we only got the internet like a week ago here. It's a new, <laughs> new technology, so that helps. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like someone like you though that depends on um, you know your business for 100 percent of your family livelihood. I feel like, especially in this age of photography, that you probably depend a great deal on social media for promotion and like to people know, to know who you are and all those kinds of things. Mm. So like, how do you, how do you balance that desire to not be on social media and not care about yeah. social media with your need to promote your business? It's a bit of a mindset thing. So I'll use it to post my work and uh, you know, reply to comments or whatever, but then that's about all. Like I, really avoid going down that rabbit hole of scrolling you know how you just aimlessly <laughs> scroll and you know i deleted facebook off my phone about well, three years ago now and that was just such a wise move so if i do post post to facebook which is probably once every three weeks um i just have to go on the computer and do it and that way i'm not wasting time sure. on the app and yeah when it comes to something like instagram it, it's very similar i'll still post twice a week or whatever but uh it's more just kind of get in and get out and hopefully that doesn't look like I'm just this snob or anything like you. I definitely will still, you know, see what my 
uh, peers are doing or friends and things like that. But no, it's more I totally just, appreciate no, it. Just not doing that thing <laughs> where it's like, you know, I only follow 60 people on my, like my photography account. And those 60 people are people that are just going to make me feel, you know, positive and uplifted. And then, you know, if I really want to look at someone's photos, I just go to their website, uh, which I know not everyone has a website, but I don't really view many photos anyway, to be honest. So yeah, it's definitely a powerful tool that I still need to use, unfortunately. Uh, but it's more like, just knowing how to use it for me so it just doesn't become a time-wasting trap, essentially. And look, like I could have, I've got two Instagram accounts. The first one's on about 100, it was over 160,000, but it's just dropping regularly now because I don't use it. And I purposely have more or less just turned that into a random personal page, which I only post like fortnightly or every three weeks. I could have easily turned that into a proper half a million account uh, this is around 2013 when Instagram was just starting to get traction. But that was the same time that I realized how much I love shooting like landscapes, pure landscapes without human element, without man-made structures. And I kind of just shifted just for me what photography is and what is the art that I want to make. And I knew, you know, like everyone knows what photos go good on social media, what's going to get a good engagement. And I just couldn't bring myself to... <laughs> to play that game just to build up a, a you know a following or whatever so that's why like I started the one that I th like the main photography one that I use now which is a smaller account but it's like no this is me this is the work I make and I, lo I, lo I love that you said that because I feel like I'm not alone when I say that um, for a lot of us we kind of see through that uh, I don't know it just feels inauthentic that that um, there's a recipe yeah like people are posting like very specific things to gain a very specific uh reaction from a very specific audience and it's all formulaic and it's all like designed uh very specifically mm. to like drive people to take certain actions and like i feel like yeah. those of us that are in it and those of us that think about it more than once a month you know like yeah we yeah. you see right through it and it just feels really vacuous and it feels um empty and I, yeah. i'm constantly fighting against it myself like no i'm not gonna post a story today i'm not gonna post a new photo today like mm. you know like if you like my photos awesome if you don't i don't care like mm. yeah uh, i try and just go off what i feel like just kind of assessing my own motives really um which is pretty simple. It's like, oh, this is funny. I'm going to share this. Or, man, this looks crazy at this helicopter window. I'm just going to share this now on the story. And then with the work, you know, I'll just shoot for three, four months straight, build up a, a new collection of images, and then I'll just do a batch upload on my website and let people know yeah. that, hey, if you want to see what I've actually been doing properly, uh, here it is. And then I'll just, like, drip feed that to social media. But, uh, yeah, yeah I could... Yeah, for me, man, like I, honestly, from a business perspective, I could easily make more money and get more clients, but I just, I'm obsessed and love this, get, like landscape photography too much as a form of expression and even exploration. I love shooting new places, you know, just especially here in New Zealand, just exploring the many er uh, wilderness areas that we have here. Um, I'm so instead jealous. Of just posting. Yeah. New or, Zealand like, I is easily... like top... <laughs> 
top two places in the world that I want to visit, man. Like, ugh. Yeah, it's up there. There was, a, there was, a, there was a show on um, Netflix, and I can't remember the name of it. It uh, it wasn't even about the landscape, but it was it was like a oh, crime. Hunt. Oh, that? a crime one. No, I was going to say Hunt for the, the Wilder People, but that was a comedy, not a crime. Thing. No, it was like, um, God, it, I'll, I'll look it up, but... The cinematography was so good. Like they had these like compressed telephoto shots of the mountains in New Zealand. And I was just drooling like, Oh my God, (laughs) you know, like it was just so beautiful. And, you know, I I live in Colorado and you know, the mountains here are like fantastic, but man, when I look at New Zealand, I'm just like, yes, that, because they're just, I don't know, man, there's something about that place. So like you just, so you, you went from Australia to New Zealand yeah. Um, and I think it was like maybe what, like a year ago? That's it. So, uh, yeah, 30 years in Wollongong in Australia. So, Wollongong's east coast, just over an hour south of Sydney, basically an hour and a half. So, what, what and, brought uh, you to New Zealand? Like, why did you make that transition? So, I was coming here probably six or seven times through the year, whether it was running workshops or just <laughs> wanting to okay. family holiday or just travel and create new work for myself. And whenever I'd go back to Australia, and this is even if I was in Iceland or Patagonia or whatever, whenever I'd go back to Australia in the last few years, I was like, man, this just feels too busy for me now. And Wollongong is by no means a huge city in the grand scheme of things, but like the, the entire area, like the, the surrounding suburbs, it might be around a million now, I'm guessing, like the population. Whereas the town I live in now is four and a half thousand. So, uh, yeah, it just got to the point where it didn't feel like home. I just changed as a man, you know, as my, as I had children and really just got dug deeper into photography. I just felt like I've just changed as a person and I wasn't relating to people there anymore, but over Mm -hmm. here in New Zealand, particularly down in the South Island here, I'm just like, these guys are on the same page as me. Like they're not photographers necessarily, but they just like the outdoors and they're laid back and, they don't mm-hmm. care about owning five houses and 10 cars and like people here are just chilled out, man. So, um, yeah. yeah, it was on my mind for a few years and then it just got to the point where I'm like, no, I think this is a serious thing. I want to raise my children in this type of environment. And thankfully my wife, she supported me, man, through everything. Like, <laughs> and she was, she was on board with this. We have left family and everything yeah, we've yeah. known to live in another country and we purchased a house here and we're locked in and thankfully uh so far so good and everything's going well and it's been yeah just over 12 months now so it's been a real blessing that's brilliant man like i've it <laughs> resonates with me so much because um I've, i feel like i went through a very similar experience i uh i moved from i was a fifth generation native of colorado springs which is like a really big sprawling city on the um eastern part of colorado and uh i moved to and it's very 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 conservative there which is it is what it is it just doesn't resonate for me so Mm. um so i moved to portland oregon um kind of trying to seek out like kind of that new experience and i really enjoyed it that's like the opposite of conservative isn't it (laughs) yeah it's like like (laughs) very opposite Um, from what i understand yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely And uh, I really liked that too, but it was almost like, I don't know, the people there just like, I don't know, just didn't click with me. 
Mm-hmm. And I was missing my mountains. And so I moved back to uh, Colorado to this tiny little town. Well, maybe not tiny by your standards. Uh, there's 17,000 in this town. and um, Big city. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like LA to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> no. mean, it's, it's pretty small though. I mean, in comparison yeah, to most places. For sure. And, but it's sure. the same thing. Like most of the people that live here, like they love the outdoors. Like the reason they're here is because they want to be here. They work like two yeah. or three jobs. Like they they like whatever it takes to be here because they love like having access to the the outdoor opportunities uh, that we have yeah. here. And, and I think that speaks to something you had mentioned to me earlier, which is like a passion for the wilderness. Cause I've, I, I, I also share that passion for the wilderness and i'm wondering like for you how does that how does that translate into your photography like what is that like i don't know for me it's this weird like left brain right brain like like battle that happens every time i go out you know because i'm constantly in awe of everything i see and then the other side of my brain is like talking about all this like okay you got to set up your tripod this way and like you got to like set your ISO and you know, like it's this constant mm. struggle. So like, what is that passion for? How does that passion for wilderness play out in the brain of William Patino? Well, because photography like essentially came before that love of the outdoors, admittedly. Um, it's like a perfect fusion now. So for me, First of all, I don't use a tripod, so that eliminates any issues with uh, setting which a tripod we, which up. Which we will definitely talk about later. Yeah, we can have a chat about that. But uh, yeah, like I'm just picturing like one of the recent little trips I did like a week ago, just a short hike, like a two-hour hike up a valley, uh, going off trail um, a little bit, etc. And, you know, I guess oh, it's hard to explain, man. It's like almost now that I'm picturing how I feel when I'm shooting and I'm in those moments where everything's just happening and it's sublime, it's it's almost like this symphony of where my uh, my senses are heightened and, you know, I'm because I was in the river with this. I had waders, so I was trying not to get dragged down the river at this point. <laughs> but um, yeah, everything, that it's like this perfect fusion and I definitely, I just react to it's like sport almost like hunting wildlife sometimes where you're just in that zone and you can completely switch off. And I always say to people, photography is like meditation sometimes because you're when I'm doing photography anyway, I can't think about, you know, like bills I've got to pay or nuclear bomb threats in Korea or whatever <laughs> random things are happening in the world. I can't because I'm so in tune to that moment in front of me, that present moment for that half hour window or whatever it is. Yeah, um, dude. And then it's just like the camera is just that last piece of the puzzle there. So I'm there, I'm experiencing it, I'm exploring, finding the compositions, but just just going with, you know, my instinct. And then that last part where I find my composition is like, okay, now I'll just get this camera out, I'll fire off my frames and then just take some fresh air, you know, just breathe it in and <laughs> and that's it, man. Like, geez, I get goosebumps thinking about it. I get sometimes the hard thing here, especially because I live in uh, pretty much Fiordland. So oh. this is the largest national park in New Zealand, the fifth largest in the world. I live in Tiana, which is the gateway to Fiordland. So um, for me to get into like beach forest and, you know, ancient growth is literally – a 10 minute drive and then I can walk five minutes and bang, I'm there. You can just get portfolio shots just like that. But uh, a lot of the hikes that I might do will often involve going through these forests. And sometimes like on this recent one that I did, 
I was rushing against the clock for the sunset, but the sun star was flicking through the forest and there was cascades everywhere. And I was like, ah, like I was torn to, (laughs) I want to shoot here, but I really can't. And uh, that's why it's so fun, man. There's just, there's unlimited options. You're only limited here by your creativity, basically. (laughs) I I will say, uh, William, you're the first guest. I I, honestly, I truly, you're the first guest where you've like, you've transported me to that place and i want to go like right oh, now like God. oh thank you so much <laughs> like oh. oh pleasure thank you <laughs> man like I, I was yeah when i was just saying that story i was just going off the last time i had a good shoot it was about a week or two ago and yeah i feel like going back there now too i'm looking out the window <laughs> like how's sunset gonna shape up today <laughs> yeah man like Uh, But for me, man, like that, how I explain that or whatever feelings you may have got from that little rant, uh, that's what I'm pursuing, I guess. If I don't feel it, then I'm blessed that I, you know, I only shoot portfolio work like a lot of guys in this genre do. Like I'm not shooting for Instagram. I'm not shooting for clients. I'm just shooting for me from the heart, uh, as corny as it may sound. Uh, So yeah, sometimes I'll go somewhere and if I'm just not feeling it or if I really think it could be better or something, then there's just no pressure. So I'm often just chasing a moment that actually did move me and made me just go, wow, which I do a lot. And if someone joins me, I'm just, I'm like a kid. I'm just like screaming and I'm like, yo, and just yelling out (laughs) if the light's getting good or, you know, if it's getting a bit funny with waves or whatever, I'm just, yeah, I think some of the workshop guys might think I'm a bit... (laughs) (laughs) Have a few uh, screws loose. The amount of times like I've just been barefoot like up to the waist in the beach in iceland or whatever just because i'm like nah this is the shot here you gotta get i've like pushed yeah, the guys like, before like what do are this, man. I, was like, yeah. I was like he's trying to get the shot i'm like dude you have to get in there just like give him a good push and <laughs> I, I love it though i gotta feel it i really need to feel the elements i want to feel fear almost you know like <sighs> just that that borderline between beauty and terror where you're like this is amazing, but at the same time, I'm a little bit nervous here and this looks a bit imposing and that's what I love. I'm addicted to it and that's just how it is. Like I've tried, I'll shoot intimate landscapes, which, uh, you know, some guys do so well and I appreciate them and I'll see those shots in the field and I'll shoot them. I'll be like, cool, you know, look at these fern details or the mud cracks or whatever and I'll feel it. And then I just get home and I look at it and I'm like, nah, it just doesn't do it for me. I, I want to feel like I'm about to be taken out by wave or something i just can't <laughs> not at this point in my career anyway i'm just i'm a drama queen that's what i say to people i love that drama <laughs> oh man so kai you just described like so many of the ways that i feel when i go out when i shoot but uh i feel like my fear of damaging my equipment might be a little higher than yours <laughs> yeah oh man i have no idea so my last body was three and a half years old. I have no idea. Honestly, this thing, if I open the screen up, there's white corrosion <laughs> everywhere. It gets the error code like every second day. And it, anyway, I've upgraded the body now, but I, I honestly don't know how that one went so long, but it's been hit by so many waves, waterfalls, everything. Yeah, dude. And still kept on going. But uh, look, honestly, I don't know. If I really believe in the shot, then I F just, F I'm it, happy man. to sacrifice just do the it. Gear. Yeah, if I'm like, you know what, if I have to do an insurance claim here, then whatever, that's 500 bucks. <laughs> Some of my photos, unfortunately, can cost $1,000 because I might have chartered a right. helicopter or whatever, just one single photo. Um, 
and trust me, man, like a, I don't have a lot of cash to throw around, but I just I just am addicted to this too much. And if I see that vision in that shot, I'm, I just weigh it up and I say, all right, I'm going for it. And actually, just a random story on that. Years ago, I was shooting a seascape back in Australia. This is like 2013 or something. And my wife joined me. It was a sunset. She was just reading a book or something. And then she happened to film on her phone the moment when this huge surge came up. I was on these rock shelves and there was like a, a slot, like a little canyon drop off and the waves would surge up. And then as they went, it's like Thor's Well, actually. Just picture Thor's Well, but like the Australian version. Um, anyway, this huge surge came and I knew I was like, this one is bigger than all the rest. I knew I was in trouble and I, all I could do was just stand there and just bang. It completely knocked me down. I went invisible like I was under the waves and my wife got it all on video and, uh, long story short, someone saw it and it went in like a Facebook group and people were, there was like this safety thing. It was like a local photography group thing in Australia and they were saying, this behavior is not, you know, we do not condone this behavior and this is foolish. And I was like, hang on a minute. I wasn't even in the group, but I think I joined it just to basically say it's a wave. Like I'm happy for my camera gear to die. I wasn't going to die by a wave just pushing me on the rocks. Like, yeah, okay, i got some sore knees or whatever, but, and it's still my mindset today. Like I'm happy to yeah, get a bit cut up or <laughs> whatever, get cold. You know, um, and sacrifice a year. I'm never going to sacrifice my life for a photo, but dude, like at the end of the day, it's only a camera can replace that. For so. sure, yeah, man. <laughs> anyway. No, I it just reminded me of that story, man. It was funny seeing people like get upset about the way another guy was shooting. It's like, what? <laughs> it's all good. That's so funny. I I want to go back to um, what you talked about earlier about um, not using a tripod because um, I feel like so many of us landscape photographers like we depend so heavily upon using tripods especially when you're shooting in the blue hour or golden hour like when you know like this the most subtle handshake can cause blur especially if you're doing anything over you know like one i don't know one twenty-fifth of a second so like like what is that about like how do you pull that off and like Uh, yeah tell us about that (laughs) That's something a lot of people, yeah, people really ask me a lot about this. Um, <laughs> I didn't definitely, I sure didn't start off shooting this way. I don't even know exactly when I really started to develop the methods that I use. But, you know, it must have been a compositional issue that I had one time where the tripod wasn't going to work and maybe it went from there. But it's probably been a year and a half, almost two years exclusively now, aside from night photography, which is incredibly rare for me. I just don't like astro because it's not exciting enough. But, uh, yeah, it's handheld. So I shoot mirrorless, which definitely helps. Mirrorless bodies generally have, like, an inbuilt stabilisation in the body. So I can shoot pretty comfortably at one-tenth of a second. And at one-tenth of a second, for me, that's more than enough to blur water, like fast-moving water, sure. whether it's a seascape or a cascade, a waterfall, etc. Um, and most of my photos are shot when the sun is still just above the horizon. So, you know, right on sunrise or sunset. I'm not really shooting the blue hours or anything like that. The only issues that typically arise are, you know, if it's dark, say it's a forest. The forest is a tricky one, just getting that depth sure. of field sometimes. So... What I'll do is I'll get my shutter as slow as I'm comfortable with and then I may just do a a focus stack handheld. So I might lower the f-stop to, let's say, instead of f11, I might go open it up to f8 
and then I'll just focus stack that bad boy. So I'll just, you know, focus on the foreground and focus on the background. Or maybe I need to do two in the foreground, two in the background, um, and then I'll just blend it together. Whereas if you're on a tripod, you might just have sat there on F16 and just shot the whole thing in a one second exposure for argument's sake. So that's the main way I really get around it. And uh, yeah, with waves and everything, like I like that look where there's still some detail yeah. in the water, which is anywhere from one eighth, one tenth, you know, even a 25th if it's like super windy and things are going crazy. Except sometimes I will actually, if I, it's not blurry enough, I'll slow it right down to half a second and then I'll just blurry, mm -hmm. uh, blend mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. that exposure into my previous faster shot, if that kind of makes sense. Um, so that's kind of how I get around it. And I'm literally at the point now where, like I head to Patagonia end of next month, like I just don't bring the tripod because I don't have a vision for any astro in Patagonia. So I just don't, like it's not an issue anymore if I forget the tripod. It's not like, oh no, the tripod, I, I'm doomed. It's just I'm that comfortable now with what I do. And I think the last time I did try to use the tripod, a few months ago, for whatever reason, I I literally like got frustrated, like some kind of baby. I was like, nah, like just I kind of threw it away. I was like, get away, like you're just frustrating me. Just trying to like make a composition adjustment just drives me mad with a tripod. So I'm just too free now being handheld and I just can't see myself ever going back. It's just past that point now. So, <laughs> so here we are. That's the so I've ended up where I am. I guess telephoto can be hard if you're zoomed in pretty tight on something and right. it's hard to get a fast shutter, but yeah, unless, I mean, unless it's like good daylight, you know, you can still pull exactly, it yeah. Generally, the light is there. I'll just open the f-stop up and yeah, make it happen. And I'm still stingy on the ISO. Like I won't bump that ISO over 200 very, very rarely. So yeah, I guess focus stacking, just handheld focus stacking, is the main thing to get around any any issues. <laughs> well, man, yeah, that's right. cool. So like, gosh, I feel like every time I try to shoot without the tripod especially when the light is good, it never results in anything positive. So uh, you must have a much steadier hand than I do. Yeah, like that definitely comes into it as well. I'll hold my breath and just go into Zen mode where I just really <laughs> need to, yeah, just chill out. But I guess because I've been doing it so often that I'm, I don't notice anymore. Like sometimes I'll actually go, oh, hang on, like I haven't breathed for 30 seconds. <laughs> like a You're like a sniper. Yeah, well, I had a client from the army, and he said that to me. He goes, "You'd make a really good sniper." <laughs> <laughs> so, right, it's the same principle, really. Uh, oh, for yeah, sure. Yeah, and I, I can shoot like one fifth, really, but that has to be completely like you're just super relaxed yeah. and whatever. Um, yeah, it's yeah. funny. I do a lot of uh, mountain climbing, and I would say about hmm, I don't know, like twenty five percent of the time, I don't bring a tripod, which means. I have to use some of those techniques that you're talking about. Like I remember yeah. last last summer I did a, a hike, well, a, a mountain climb of this mountain called Ice Ice Mountain here in Colorado. And I remember I was shooting this uh, this flowing stream with wildflowers right after sunrise. And uh, it looked really good in camera. <laughs> when I got home, it was all blurry. I was like, oh, that was a yeah. fail. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've definitely had those where it's like, it still almost looks sharp unless you compare it to one that is proper sharp. And then you're like, oh, okay. So, yeah, I've definitely had those for sure. It's Instagram sharp though, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Hey, Totally, like, yeah, to the untrained eye. But the handheld thing, it's not for everyone. And even with my clients, like, 
oh, I don't always encourage people to try it. But the main thing is just letting people know or showing people that you don't need the tripod all the time. Like definitely. Right. Sometimes people just grab it out of instinct and it's like, in my opinion, it slows you down. It's like a crutch and it, it gives does. you tunnel vision. And um, I would say too, like, you know, it's interesting. Um, this is something that I picked up from Alex and Ale, but um, when it's super windy, it's probably actually better to not use a tripod, you know, like exactly. Yeah. Because it's just going to vibrate up the, the tripod. Yeah. But you, <laughs> yeah. You, you and you'll need a this, shot of speed like, anyway. Yeah. Like you said, you get this tunnel vision where you're like, Oh, I have to use a tripod to make it sharp as possible. But and when you go back and look at your photos, you're like, Oh, it's what the hell. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I sometimes say that to people with Iceland, they'll want to, they'll ask me about bringing a really big, sturdy tripod. And I'm like, and they say it because of the wind. And I'm like, well, if it's windy, then it's probably just going to, it will vibrate through the body somehow. But also, you most likely want a faster shutter speed in the wind because your foreground's going to be getting blown all over the place. So, therefore, you can just be handheld and save yourself <laughs> carrying a, <laughs> a huge tripod. <laughs> right. But yeah. I just found for me, like I said, the tunnel vision, like if a lot of people will put the camera on the tripod as they get out of the car or whatever they do, and then they only look for compositions that suit the tripod or that height of the tripod. So even if anything, if anyone's going to take anything away from this random chat, it's uh, find your composition first and frame everything up regardless of the tripod and then and then go from there instead of just whacking uh, the tripod on the straightaway. Yeah, that that's actually... That answers my question I was going to ask you next because um, I feel like there's a few scenes that I've taken where I wish I had a tripod and I didn't. And I feel like if you have a tripod, and but you don't always have to use it, um, but then if you do need to use it, you can. So it's like don't, don't just use it automatically is basically what you're saying. Yeah, make it like the plan B, not yeah. the plan A. I love that. Just it's there just in case and that's what i did for a while and now i'm just like well i just don't use it so i'm not gonna waste the the space in the bag or whatever that's awesome <laughs> well dude. except uh, of course night night photography as i mentioned but that's very rare that's iceland only basically and that's right yeah. you mean you, you don't <laughs> hand hold your aurora shots oh dude i literally have <laughs> i've got one and someone was trolling on Instagram, I think, and they're like, well, what about your shots, you know, and your, your Aurora shots? And I was like, oh, funny you mentioned that. And then I put one up. It was just like a behind the scenes of someone else shooting the Northern Lights, but it was definitely like usable on the net. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. My cameras have come a long way. Ah, it's ridiculous. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so, God, how do you balance with all of the other demands you have in life i know you don't have another job um i feel like your most of us commitment as a photographer well i don't know if most of us but a lot of us have you know a second Mm. job like another job like photography for me is like a side thing so like i have a 40 50 hour a week job um where i i'm running on aspect of a non-profit like all the time and like I'm on call right now. Like I actually have gotten lots of calls. <laughs> We've been <Jeez>. podcasting and <laughs> I'm texting people back saying, Hey, I'm, I'll, I'll get back to you soon. But you know, you, but you are, you do have a family, mm. you have a wife and you have two kids. Like how do you juggle that, that 
burning, yeah. flaming, and then the like, work obligation, un- insatiable yeah. desire with 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 all of those like day to day demands. Like, I just try and be obviously families first and foremost to me, man. At the end of the day, and if if this was not working or if money was just not coming in, then. I'll just do whatever it takes to, to get food on the table. I'll just go pick up some tools again or a paintbrush or work in the supermarket, whatever. Um, I guess for me, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I right? guess I'm just more selective now about what I shoot and when I shoot it. I think that's probably the best way to sum that up. So in Australia, when I used to shoot seascapes, that's what we really had where I lived. Uh, the, the light and the sky is so critical. And if, if there was a fireball, then... I wanted to be there to shoot it, you know, because that goes a long way in a seascape. So I was always watching the sky and if anything was remotely close to being a good sunrise or sunset, I'd be gone out the door. I was gone back and forward. Whereas now in New Zealand and just with being more critical about my work, everything's more calculated and I wouldn't say planned out because a lot of what I do is still spontaneous when I'm in the field. But, you know, I'll just gauge how the week's going. Let's say I don't have any work obligations for the next two weeks here. Um family time you know just keep hanging with the kids have fun do the yard do whatever i have to do around the house but then like i said i'm always watching the weather i love the weather i love studying the weather i love it's a big part of the photography i make so like i mentioned earlier i was looking at the weather for a couple of days time and i can see that okay there could be something there could be some good conditions coming up thursday afternoon so that might mean i have to leave the house around five and then i won't be back till maybe midnight by the time i go into the mountains and come back but that's only a couple of hours where i'm just leaving the family you know what i mean so i guess i'm just balancing it as much as i can i'm making sure that i pull my weight around the house i don't feel like you know i've given the kids good quality time i've helped my wife she's relaxed and then i'll try and plan something like that um so it is a balancing act, man. And the hard thing is obviously workshops. So sometimes if I have to travel overseas, which I don't do too much, but, um, you know, the absolute worst case for a Patagonia or Iceland trip for me is almost three weeks away from home, which is very hard. So I make sure that that week leading up, I'm not touching the camera. And then when I'm back, it's two weeks without picking the camera up, you know, and no other obligations either. And Thankfully, I'm in a position where I can kind of schedule things like that. And, of course, other opportunities arise sometimes and I can't turn them down. But it's just balancing it out. It's like if I'm going to be away for X amount of time, then I'm going to be home proper and and get those levels back up there again, if that makes sense. And my, absolutely. my yeah, wife absolutely. is awesome, man. Like if, if I really want to pursue a shot here, um, you know, she's pretty supportive of what I do. But I, at the same time, I know when not to push my luck as well. And I've been bringing my son along on some little trips as well into the forest. And, you know, he's like, can I come in the helicopter next time? Or even my daughter, she's two. And she's like, her name's Aurora. And she's like, Rory, come in plane. She wants to, I was like, are you going to fly the plane? She's like, yeah. So the kids, are, you know, I'll bring them along if I can, because especially the forest stuff here, you know what the forest is like. You, you can just go into the forest and it's composition galore the moment you step in there. So that stuff's pretty easy. I'll try to bring the kids as much as I can to places like that. And if it's anything in the backcountry, it's all calculated. It's kind of get in and get out. I'm going to get in there for this weather system. I'll get my shots and then I'll get out. I'm not really hanging around in the tent for five, six days, just, you know, sitting around waiting, which, yeah, sometimes I wish I could. Like I've gone somewhere and invested money to get a shot and, things might not have worked out and I'm like, oh, I just needed one more day, but yeah, it's just too bad. I'm just trying again next time. So yeah, big juggling act dude at the end of the day, but For so sure. far, yeah, it seems to be working. That's working. 
One of the things you mentioned to me, which I don't know, I'm selfish, so whatever. You said you're a vegetarian. I don't know if you knew this, but I'm also <laughs> I'm also a vegetarian. So yes, I've, yeah, I've I've heard you say that in the past. So um, I what, am. Yeah. Well, so what is that about for you, like as a photographer, and like why have you chosen to be a vegetarian? Yeah, I was a huge meat eater, dude. Like <laughs> me too, I man. Like, me I too. Still like, <laughs> oh man, I I remember eating a one one kilo steak. So that's two point two pounds. Uh, one time at a restaurant, it was like a challenge. I was like, yeah. I'll, I'll polish that bad boy off easy. I've done that a few times actually in the past, but, and I like going to the gym and, you know, working out and protein, protein, protein. And anyway, long story short, it was a friend here in New Zealand, an environmentalist. And, uh, he was, he was on some kind of clean water protest. And, uh, I was like, what the heck does clean water have to do with <laughs> meat or anything like that? Right? Yeah. He, uh, he just shared some, yeah, he shared some facts about farming and the agriculture industry and the impact and how unsustainable, these industries are at the moment and uh you know I, I was convicted straight away i'm the type of guy that i'll just follow what feels right in my heart and that was the same with being a full-time photographer moving to new zealand and then yeah just looking into the meat industry and the dairy as well so i don't say i'm a vegan because i our neighbors have chickens and you know we we have the occasional egg you know once a week or whatever so i'm not really vegan but i don't have i don't really have dairy either um and yeah, I guess essentially it's just the impact that these industries are having, particularly in New Zealand, the dairy industry, it's pretty told, it's taking its toll on the landscape here, whether it's deforestation or polluting yeah, rivers. A lot of rivers here are getting polluted and you can't, you can't even swim in them. You know, it's just getting ridiculous. Uh, so, and where I live, a lot of people here are farmers. So I'm very sympathetic to the whole issue and I'm not incredibly, um, blunt about my opinions here or anything like that but for me i just felt like i can see that it's not sustainable especially like the amount of cattle and everything that just gets turned over on the lambs and so uh yeah i just want to do my part to try and reduce my my footprint um as much as possible i guess at the end of the day i just felt convicted uh, <laughs> it, it made sense to me and this was just an easy thing for me to do it, it only took a few days and i was like okay i'll just start eating chickpeas lentils and yeah, beans and things yeah, like that. Yeah, it's not that hard if you think good. about it. And like, nah. honestly, like, it's not an all or nothing thing, right? Like, you can, you can reduce the amount of meat you eat over time, and it's going to have a huge environmental impact. Like, if yeah, I I always joke yeah, with my cut, friends. Like, I always I always joke with my friends. Like, you know, if you're if you call yourself an environmentalist, but you still eat meat or you still eat a lot of meat, like you need to rethink that because like one of the, yeah. one of the biggest things you can do to reduce your impact is eat less meat because it takes so much more yeah, water just because of the way the food chain works. It takes so much more water that's to right. produce meat than it does vegetables. Just fact. That's it. Even uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger like advocates, you know, eating more of a vegetarian diet, you know, him of all people, the bodybuilder. So, um, it is. It's. It seems to be black and white, and I'm not the type of person to dwell and keep reading over facts. I just saw enough to me that goes, yeah, this makes sense. There seems to be a lot yeah. of people that have put studies into this, and so I was like, all right, this is this is just what I do now. You know, my photography, all our photography, it's based upon beautiful places that essentially haven't been touched by man, really. 
And if we keep going at the rate we're at, we need more and more space for more farms. And the thing that's going to suffer is the landscape and their rivers getting polluted and whatnot. So, yeah, for me, this is just one of those steps, you know, try and take. <laughs> to, to speak into the choir over here, like, to just, I just yeah. love that you said that. But like you said, it's pretty easy. Yeah, it's really not that it's hard. I mean, I've been, like, a, I've been a vegetarian. I, I like I've been it. a vegetarian since uh, 2012. And, uh, oh, awesome. Sorry. Yeah. And like, did everyone think you were crazy at first? I like, thought, you're going to waste it. I thought or? I was crazy at first. <laughs> you know, like, I had a, like, yeah. I had a giant, like, steak, like, tons of meat sitting in my freezer at the time. And I was like, nope, I can't do it. And I gave all my, I yeah. gave all my food away to some other people. And like, I don't know, like, it just made sense to me, like you said. And, yeah, you know, it's it kind of hits you in the heart, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like it's one of those things. Like, if if you can make a difference personally as one person, why not? Like, there's no reason not to. And yeah, you know, and I have yeah, I have friends that like, you know, they're competitive athletes, and they're like, oh, I just I can't get enough. Where do you get your protein? I can't get enough protein. And I'm like, it's it's not that hard, dude. It's, yeah, I, it's not an excuse, is it? And you know, people are, especially here in New Zealand and Australia, like cutting out, oh, I guess worldwide, like the plastic thing, you know, cutting out plastic. Yeah, same and thing. To Meat is, yeah, like the meat is more impactful than that. So, you know, it's one thing to preach about plastics, let's do this. And that's awesome, like obviously. But, uh, Absolutely. I just feel like the meat thing. And this is not pointing the finger at anyone, of course. No. But, um, yeah, I guess it's just the education. I had no idea. I, my sister, became, I became vegetarian probably over two years ago. My sister was many years before that. And her reasoning was just she likes animals. So right. Well, that's one of my reasons was too. That, <laughs> yeah, and I like animals as well. But And I thought that essentially that's what vegetarians were all about. It's right. Let's not hurt the, the animals. And, you know, that's I, I was cool by that. But, uh the impact that it's having that I had absolutely no idea. I really, I was completely oblivious to it and it didn't take long for me to just Google it and watch a few documentaries and, and look at conflicting ideas as well. I always do that to balance things out and it just, it just made sense. So I thought, okay, I'm willing, willing to try anyway. One, I think the other thing too, that I've observed as somebody who was reluctant to become a vegetarian is, um, you know, vegans, my wife is a vegan, um, people that are very strongly on that side, they can come off as very strong. And so I think, you know, like <laughs> that sometimes isn't the best approach to convince people to change their behavior. Yeah. So, and well, I feel the same way about my faith as well. Like, you know, Christianity, even sometimes the way staunch vegans are reminds me of staunch Christians and it makes me cringe. <laughs> I'm like, you're not doing us any favors here, man. Just be quiet, please. Right, like, I really believe in... You might be right. Yeah, just you like, might be right, but like yeah. the, your approach is not convincing me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I really think actions speak louder than words and, and subtlety, you know. So, And I, I'm somewhat the same with my my dieting and everything like that. Like people inevitably, they notice it and they ask a question and I'm happy to share it and, right. and go from there. I don't but, know. It's funny. Yeah, uh, it's funny. Cause like I, like I backpack like, you know, 15, 20 miles trips and I climb, you know, 14,000 feet peaks, which I guess if you converted that to metric system is like, Oh, it's big. Yeah. It's bigger than the tallest mountain in New Zealand. Yeah. So. They're, they're big. And, <laughs> 
like I don't eat meat and it doesn't bother me ever. And it's not, you know, it's, it's, you just have to adapt and it's not a big deal. So whatever. So, and yeah, I feel the same way with like the training that I do and, and hiking and going to the gym. I haven't lost really any strength at all. And I actually feel probably in the best shape of my life right now. Me too, and that's man. been over two years without meat. So yeah, I think it's a, it's just one of those easy comebacks, you know, about, are oh, you not going to, if you have the strength or whatever. It's yeah. Just silly. So I know this isn't like a vegetarian podcast, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, I, the listeners are dropping off yeah, quick. Man. Right. They're skipping. Well, we'll <laughs> save the best for us. But one of the things I noticed after becoming a vegetarian is um, I don't get sick like hardly ever anymore. Like, have you found, have you had the same experience? Like, I just don't get as sick anymore. Do you have the same experience? Yeah, look. I've seen, like, sometimes I read articles or I've seen, like, documentaries where they mention about they're really just one-sided about the vegan diet and, you know, you're not going to get sick and all this. Uh, for me personally, if I reflect now, I, I will say I definitely have not been as sick. Like, I used to get a cold at least twice a year and just little, you know, things come sure. up. But in hindsight, now that you mention it, I haven't been, yeah, I haven't really had anything for a long time. In saying that, I've got a torn muscle in my heel. I think it's a torn tendon, which is extremely painful Oof. when I do certain movements. But, yeah, it sucks. That's what happens when you hike in waders for right. 10 kilometers. <laughs> Bad idea. Yeah, terrible idea. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 whether that's related to the diet or not, though, like not getting sick, I'm not sure. But I can definitely say for myself, maybe it's this pure New Zealand air that I'm breathing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, like – exactly like i it's obviously it's causation doesn't mean you know correlation doesn't mean causation but i feel like ever since i switched diets um and i've stopped eating meat like i just don't get sick um i used to get sick like five or six times a year like really bad colds and like sinus infections and all kinds of stupid stuff. Yeah, well, my family, yeah, my wife followed me to being vegetarian and obviously the kids are as well. And, yeah, all of us are pretty good. Like, kids get sick as they do. But my wife, yeah, I think we might have had, like, a cold maybe once in the last 18 months or something. Yeah. Like, now that I just kind of think about it. So, yeah, whether there's a relation, I'm not sure. But, yeah, I yeah, don't know. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting to the listeners that it's – scientifically proven but that's been my experience and i was curious if that was your experience yeah. as well <laughs> well if they use discount code william patino on vegan.com no <laughs> we have a program they can try today <laughs> that's right yeah awesome yeah man i don't know i guess yeah, my advice would be to people just uh yeah, just, just try, try it or it look out. into it anyway yeah, just and, i uh, mean and like see. you said it's not black and white you know give it a, like maybe you know once or twice a week just don't do it you know and and then you go from there. Like it's not, a, it's, you don't have to, it's not, it's not a like all or nothing thing. So a life commitment. I think there's like a, um, a month now that people do like no meat January or something. Oh, yeah, I think I I've know. seen Maybe that. Maybe it's just yeah. over here. I know there's yeah, like a, like one of those movements. There's a movement for like no meat Monday or something here in America. Oh, okay. But there's so many movements now. So I just can't keep up. <laughs> right. All right, dude. Well, getting back to the photography side of things. One of the things that I did want to ask you about was how has your um, editing style changed over the last, I don't know, five years? Like, 
because um, mm, I was talking question. to Eric about this because he was like, "Hey, you should check. You should, uh, you should have William on the the podcast." And um, I don't know for whatever reason, just being honest, like I remember some of your stuff being like really dramatic and extreme, and and then, but it's toned down over time. It's been more like really subtle but powerful. So, like, how has your how has your processing shifted over the years, and why? I'd say the processing, I developed my own techniques. So initially, it's a journey like photography yes. as well. You know, you try different things. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember, this is just a bit random, but uh, I remember years ago, just a friend of mine saying, oh, you used a clarity slider a little bit in that one, hey? And this was years ago when it just made me realize, oh, man, like people can notice things if you go overboard, things that I didn't even notice at the time. But uh, long story short, so all I use is uh, Adobe Bridge uh, to view my files. And then when I open a file, I'll just edit in Camera Raw. I do about 90, 95% of my work in Raw. And then the last 5% in Photoshop, basically. And my technique is basically painting now with brushes. So just like a painter, I, I'll work with what light I have and... I'm essentially just using brushes, whether it's two, three, four, just the adjustment brush, which is in Lightroom as well. And I'm just using that to go in and lo make local adjustments all through the photo to to draw the eye in to the scene however I want it. Um, as far as subtlety goes and everything like that, I, I don't know. I don't even know if my work is subtle, but... I think it's changed in the sense that for a while there, I was doing everything really structured. I was using actions for luminosity masks. Mm. And then I know there's like panels that guys release. I think I downloaded a panel once and I deleted it after half an hour. I was like, this is annoying me and it feels like I'm not in control. So I deleted it. I download, I've never had a workshop with anyone, but I purchased one of Ted Gore's uh, videos one time because I was more curious to see how these dudes made their tutorial videos because it's something I haven't done yet. And I got about five minutes in, man, and I just started skipping in. I'm like, I, I just didn't have the attention span to sit and watch. And so, and that's nothing against Ted, obviously, but uh, for me, I, it's very free-handed, just, I can't even explain how I do it. It's just, like I said, I just use brushes and I'll just go in and it's all about, my mom used to do oil painting mm. and my grandfather, and I've done like two paintings myself. And I just feel like if you understand the way light works, um, it's just about going in and refining how that light should be in that raw file. Obviously, the raw file is going to come out pretty flat. So it's just knowing that, hey, that should be dark up there for this reason to draw the eye into here. Maybe that should be bright because the light is doing this and that. And I don't know. I've just literally just kind of refined my style. I will admit, like, I've hung out with Mark Adamus a few times uh, here in New Zealand. And he's someone that I've always looked up to since I picked up a camera. So it's, it was a huge honor to, to hang out and have a few trips with him here, just scouting around together and having fun. And he didn't really show me his processing. He offered a few times, so we didn't really get a chance. He was just really enthusiastic. He said, hey, let me show you a few things. And uh, But the main thing, he just kind of pointed out just the way, you know, in visual art in general, how the eye should flow through a scene and, you know, starting off dark and going into light and, like, in all honesty, he didn't really show me anything, but it was just a few things that he mentioned. And then when I looked at his work and looked at work from the Romanticist period, like some of the Albert Bierstadt and Casper uh, Friedrich, like these guys that were doing paintings 200 years ago, and I could just see it was all the same concepts were there. 
just as far as light and leading the eye. So I guess that's the principles. It's the way I approach a raw file is doing that. And the, the process with releasing the work every few months, that helps as well because that's what I think it's used by you guys in the States as well, like the marinating process. I'll, um, you know, I'll process something in 10 minutes, but it's that I let it sit there and marinate and I, you know, I have things marinating for a month or two and it's that final 10% that really makes a difference. And it's only because I let it marinate that my eye can see what to do for that last 10%. So I could go for a shoot like I did last week, some aerials, and I could see the shot had a potential and, yeah, I can process it in 10, 15 minutes in camera raw and I look at it and I say, I know this is not complete. There's something else that needs to be done here. There's a few things, but my eyes have had enough now. I'm going to leave it. It's going to marinate. I'll come back and finish it off. And then when I finish a photo off, I'll, I'll let it sit there further. It just sits in the fridge, marinating those flavors. And if I can keep looking at it consistently f several times over, then that's when it makes the cut into the new work release. Yes. And if I look at it... That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, if I look at it and I just deep down know that, nah, it's just not what I want to be releasing, I just delete it now. Like, I've had a, a lot of shots like that. Like uh, hard, It's hard to do, right? It's like, hard to do, but like that's what I said. You're, like, you're giving yourself that chance to it's lose. Like murder, it's like murdering <laughs> It's like murdering one of your child, right? Like, oh. <laughs> Not that bad. It's, but, yeah, I know what you're saying. Like, I've had conditions where I'm like, man, these conditions were just so rare, and but I just knew that I didn't capture them properly, and it would just be releasing yeah, it for the sake of releasing it. Yeah. yeah, so I'll just delete it and whatever and just move it's on hard. so yeah i might have like 50 60 photos marinating that's like on the upper end and then cull that down to 30 so it's just having that sometimes man the simplest adjustment as you're aware like with the processing just goes a long way i say to my students like subtlety is key and it's small changes applied over and over so it's not big global adjustments it's more like lots of smaller local adjustments that add up over time um and it's just something that i'm pretty much just taught myself and just gone with what i thought looked good and and it's always evolving i guess but i like to not use any actions or plugins or anything as well i just like being in full control i used to use like uh, nick software and things like that a few years back and i just thought ah. Oh, I, I want to know that I can do everything here. Like I don't shoot my camera in any of the auto modes. I shoot in manual modes. So when with the processing, I want it to be the same. I want it to be manual, sure. fully coming from my brain, my hand, and knowing what I'm doing and why, and knowing how to overcome any problems that pop up. And, yeah, by no means is what I do technical, not at all. But, um, yeah, it, it works for me anyway, and it, it's simple, and my head just hurts now if I try and get too technical in there. <laughs> No, I will say that uh, using um, luminosity masking panels, um, it's super intimidating, but I will say that... Oh, like, no, I can use them. Like, I had actions to run the channels, and I had, like, 15 channels, and I can select them all and do it that way, but I've just developed methods now. If I need to blend the sky in, I just do it manually, and I just trace around stuff, or I've got ways where I'll expose... Say it's a mountain peak, you, you need just to have, change it. I'll just be lazy and you not... Just have more more patience than me yeah kind of yeah i guess you could maybe say that potentially um uh, the dynamic range is so good on cameras though so i'll easily just oh, I know. blend totally two good. photos together and not even need to trace around lines because i'll use the mountain shot that was in the sky and just pull the shadows up on that and then fuse it into the 
yeah, yeah, if that makes sense. Like, so I just, I'll do whatever it, it takes to. Um, yeah, I just don't want to be blending around little vines around trees or anything. So when I'm in the field, that's where it helps. You know, I feel like the more confident you get in your processing, that really helps you in the field because you. It's a puzzle sometimes, especially with the handheld photography. I'll be like, okay, I'll, if I shoot this like this, and then you know, focus here, and then expose here, here, and zoom in, and do a focal length blend as well. And it's a huge puzzle, but the, yeah, the more you do it, it just helps you in the field, and you can get results that you just wouldn't have been able to get otherwise. But yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting how yeah, we all have these different techniques and methods, and I can generally all get you from A to B at the end of the day. It's just figuring out For what sure, works like for this. you. It's like a thousand ways to skin the cat, right? Yeah, that's it. I don't, like I said, even with photography, man, like if someone wants to do something, whatever, like cool, there's no right or wrong. Because sometimes I'll teach people and they say, can't you do it this way? And I'm like, oh, you probably could actually. I didn't know, but I'm just going to keep doing it this way because I'm stubborn and this is just what I do. And <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. So, so I can't help myself, but um, one of our um, – Facebook listeners um, and the guest of episode <laughs> a couple before yours, Andrew Studer challenged you. So, and you and you mentioned Bob Ross in this previous conversation. So, so I mentioned. Did you. I mention Bob Ross? I didn't mention Bob Ross. <laughs> you did mention Bob Ross. You're talking about you did, doing you an American accent. Bob Ross. Did I? Oh man! You did. You did. So here's my challenge, and you said you you said challenge accepted. So, uh, so I want you to uh, to 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 pretend like you're Bob Ross to the listeners, dude. You're and too much pressure. I want you, <laughs> and I want you to use an American accent, and I want you to say um, something about the 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 photo that you're editing, like. Oh, oh yeah. Happy, oh, dude, there's, there's a happy, yeah. yeah, I do. There's a happy anyway. tree over here. <laughs> like, we got a, we got a, we got a, we got a really nice like cloud over here that's just singing. And oh, I want to yeah. hear the American William Patino just drop the Bob Ross bomb. This person has said this because I think on Snapchat or even Instagram stories, sometimes I get a little weird. So, and I think on even Mark <laughs> Adamus, like I'll just imitate his accent to his face, and he's. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like it blows his mind he's like what the hell all right but this is hard man because it's not organic so i'll pre- i'm gonna pretend um, that know, editing, I okay I, I, i'm gonna i'll pretend so that i'm processing all right so i'll just I'll pretend i'll pull up a shot here all right okay so i'm not gonna tell you when i'm going into it because that's just too much we just gotta just let it slip in there to it's not really bob ross who knows what it is it's gonna be some weird hillbilly fusion i guess but um there is nothing wrong with having a tree as a friend you know i guess i'm just a little weird but what the heck we're going to get a little bit crazy here so you can see that the the contours in these lupins are just spectacular we can see the purples the pinks and don't be scared just just get in there caress them and make them your friend and look over here there's how about oh there we go now we've done it let's get a little bit crazy there we go. We got two lupins right there. <laughs> was that? Oh man! <laughs> oh dude, I was. Uh, wow, that was so good. <laughs> you know, and I, I really can't think of anything more rewarding than just being able to express yourself through the joy of photography. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then we can just get real crazy and start talking like you just got this real strong accent and you know you're just cracking beers and throwing down uh you know f-22s out in the field but let's face it the diffraction is in just not bearable i want to see everything <laughs> shot at f 2.8 and I want to focus stack 90 times foreground to background, okay? <laughs> Make it so. <laughs> All right, that's it. That's enough of him. That's it, man. Everyone's probably just tuned out. They've ridden me off. <laughs> no, man. It's funny, living here in New Zealand as well, there's a lot of differences between the, the Kiwi accent and the Australian, and I can see slowly, like, my family and myself just starting to adopt some of the words. So <laughs> who knows that's what so I'm going to sound like in a few years. All right, man. Well, I got two. I got two more questions for you. Let's do it. So, first question: Who would you really like other people to hear on the podcast? I've been thinking about this actually as we were speaking through, and I don't think you've had him on the show. He's a guy from Iceland, and he flies planes. You, I'm sure you know him. His name's well, I call him Harold. He just he goes by many names, but uh, Volcano Pilot is his username on Instagram and his name is Harold or Heralda. There's many ways you can pronounce it, I believe, but uh, he's fascinating because not only does he fly planes, but yeah, he's a photographer as well. And he flies a lot of photographers around in Iceland. He's like the go-to guy for aerials and he's just a fascinating fellow. He's a nice guy. And that uh, sounds amazing. Dude, like, yeah, he's got any, he just, he sees some of the best sites in the world, flying planes in Iceland on the side and yeah taking people along for the ride and throwing his camera out the window while you're cruising around at ten thousand feet and i just think he will be a great guy to have on uh photography wise as well as talking about the impact of tourism and photography that um the impact on iceland itself um he's just got some cool stories he's a he's a born and bred icelandic and he's crazy as well he, and he does a good american accent too so if we get him on <laughs> Uh, me and him like cruising in the plane, just American accents, just yeah, yahooing and having a fun time. So, yeah, at at Volcano Pilot uh, Harold, he's a nice guy. So, man, I think uh, everyone would enjoy listening to him for sure. I love that, and I also love that he's not a photographer, right? Like he's just a pilot. Yeah, like he's not doing it full time. Like he shoots. Awesome. He's got an amazing social feed. Uh, so he loves photography and he's got a great eye for it. But, uh, yeah, it's not like a full-time thing or anything. Sweet. But, yeah, he, he'll be great. He'll be a good guest to have on. Awesome. Well, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. So I, my last question is um, I want to hear – I think listeners want to hear just you, – you sound like a really funny, awesome dude – people probably really want to go hang out with you. I know I do. I want to go shoot with you. So like, how can people learn more about your workshops and what do you got coming up? Oh yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I've managed to uh, deceive you, which is good. Deceive me. <laughs> Deception. But, uh, no, man, like, yeah. <laughs> Deception. Um, yeah. So I run my workshops year round. I guess my website's the best way. So it's just williampatino.com or Instagram. The main account I use is uh, William Patino underscore photography. That's where you'll find me. I'm also releasing some tutorials for the first time. Uh, let's say around April. These are not your standard processing tutorials, though. We've been filming out in the field 
uh, just going through various scenarios and situations and basically starting from the ground up, just teaching people photography and giving an insight into how I shoot. So I'm really excited about these to get these released. So that'll be around April that they come out and yeah, it's in the field as well as post-processing what we shoot in the field. And I've also been carrying around, which is pretty cringy, but uh, a GoPro. So when I've been the tutorials were certainly not shot on GoPro, but I wanted to just show people like a real insight into what I do. So yeah, yeah just being GoProing, like vlogging yeah. some of my random trips when I'm yeah in the waders and falling over and having fun and just creating what I do. So do that'll be around April. So a, I, I have a newsletter list. Do you have a YouTube channel? No, I don't, and I don't. Oh, I do, but I don't use it. I don't want to go down that road. That was something <laughs> I did years ago. I started dabbling in photography, and this was when I just went. You know what? Like I'm just gonna. I just want to concentrate on what I'm doing nice, now in nice. the wilderness and me too. Pure landscape photography, Same. and these vlogs will just be purely like bonus content in these um, tutorials. As that well. makes just sense. Like a bit That's of a, smart. just a fun, yeah, yeah. It's a fun side thing. So yeah, if people subscribe to my newsletter list through the website. Uh, you'll be notified about the, when these uh, tutorials get released as well. So yeah, awesome. Thank you. Sweet dude. Well, damn, this has been oh. so fun. I really appreciate. Um, your sense of humor and just just letting it all out there and just sharing everything about what you got going on so i thanks for so much that's been awesome no my absolute pleasure thank you for having me on thanks everyone if you've made it to the end here thank you for listening and uh <laughs> yeah and good work with the podcast mate keep it up keep up the ah, good work thank you appreciate that oh cool. cheers ah well thanks william for taking the time to visit with us on the podcast you can see examples of his amazing photography and find links to all of the topics we discussed over on my totally awesome brand new website, www.mattpainphotography.com. If you enjoyed our talk, there's even more over on Patreon. So next week, we sit down with our very first guest from South America, Gabriel Eisenband. Gabriel was commissioned by the government of Colombia to photograph every national park there, and he produced an absolutely amazing photography book about it. I can't wait to share next week's episode with you. I'm also busy planning a very special 100th episode, which will feature many former guests in a roundtable discussion, so get ready for that one. Well, I want to take a moment to thank our newest patrons for the podcast, and I also want to extend an invitation to any of you that are supporting the podcast or when you newly sign up on the podcast over on Patreon. When you sign up as a patron, please feel free to leave a comment in the community board on Patreon for the web for the podcast, and I will share it with the podcast listeners. It really can be anything you want. I want to promote you. So thanks to uh, Christian Herring uh, Junghans, uh, who pledged in at the $5 a month level. And thanks to Roger Nadell, who is donating at the $10 a month level to sustain the podcast. Thank you all so much for your support. I just got hit with my hosting fees this, this month for a whole year for the podcast, and I had to buy a bunch of supplies that I use to thank patrons. So thank you guys so much for your support definitely softened those financial blows. It really is my goal to make this my full-time job, and I want to produce more podcasts in person across the globe. So help me out by supporting today at patreon.com slash fstop and listen. 
Well, as always, if you want to leave comments about any episode that you listen to, or if you want to send me a note about your thoughts or how I can improve or any ideas you might have, head over to my blog to mattpainphotography.com or follow me on Twitter or Instagram as mattpainphoto or on Facebook as mattpainphotography. Thanks for listening. See you next week.